Welcome, everybody, to Bajek and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. This is episode number 24. Uh, we are live and ready to rock and roll. Uh, we have a very special guest for you, Bajek and Brown listeners, this evening. As always, we're joined by the host with the most, Mr. Bob Jack. Uh, Bob, how are you doing this morning, afternoon? I said morning, Bob, afternoon. I'm doing great. What up, B&B Nation? How is everybody doing tonight? I think everybody's ready to rock and roll, Bob. We are really thrilled and excited uh, for the great guests that you have lined up for the Bajek and Brown listeners. And also, Bob, we get to rehash uh, one of our older questions that was more popular on social media. I think we're going to bring it up with our guests, the uh, Kevin Garnett and Anthony Davis question. Is that right? That is totally right. By the way, I have a request. I would like to call this the Kyrie Irving episode in honor of my brother, Dan, who got married this weekend. Kyrie Irving is his favorite player, to my knowledge. And we want to give a shout out to Dan. And what is his uh, beautiful bride's name? Brittany. Brittany. So to Brittany and Dan, congratulations in the ceremony of matrimony. The first love connection <laughs> here on Basic and Brown. Hoops Up and Down podcast. Uh, Bob, I know we're, we're about 10 days away from the NBA draft. I know a lot of people are excited and uh, anticipating that. But without further ado, Bob, I'll go ahead and let you do the great honors of introducing our special guests to our Basic and Brown listeners here live on Anchor.fm. She is a legend at Wake Forest University, b-ball in the 80s. Uh, she's an award-winning journalist in various organizations, 34 years of experience, and a professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. We have the one, the only, the great Dr. Janice Collins. Dr. <laughs> Collins, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm doing well. It's a pleasure, Dr. Collins. Thank you for joining us and our, our Basic Brown listeners this evening. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Oh, and let me make an update. I actually am, I was at the University of Illinois, and at the moment, I'm actually running a lot of businesses, nonprofits for media and storytelling, so traveling across the world in Africa and things like that, so great things, great things are happening, yeah. Uh, Dr. Collins, can you tell our listeners some of those um, organizations you work for? Well, one is World Changers Media International Foundation, um, which is all things media. And I basically work with um, agent changers or uh, individuals that use some form of media to change the world um, into a more positive, more loving, more inclusive way. Um, so they're either the platforms I promote and support the platforms or the agents. The other a nonprofit is African International Documentary um, Festival Foundation. And that's been ongoing for about three years. And, oh gosh, we have everyone. We have from Leon, Tanzania, um, Ghana, Abuja, Nigeria, where we empower um, underprivileged, underrepresented youth uh, to tell their own stories, to educate the world 
about who they are and their people and their culture and all of the beautiful things that we really don't see a lot of in media here in the United States. I think that's starting to change. Um, but as you know, Bob, uh, I'm a journalist and a documentarian and at my heart, I'm a storyteller. And I believe everyone has a story. And um, so I travel the world. I was actually in China at one time. Uh, last year, I was working with participants representing over 162 countries. And I was one of the lead facilitators for the storytelling aspect. It was the first, this is like um, Unleashed 2019 is an organization that works with um, NGOs, nonprofits, um, that their focus is sustainable and developmental goals um, decided on by the United Nations. So all of these countries and the representatives from these countries um, were selected to come to Shenzhen, China um, to, um, I think it was almost a month that we were there to learn about what's going on in different parts of the world, what's needed, what needs support, encouragement, such as equal rights for women, children, technology, advancement to close the gap of the great digital divide that so many countries have had to deal with. And I was one of the lead facilitators for the storytelling. And this was one of their first, um, their first, the premiere, the first year um, actually having storytellers who are connected with wow. NGOs and nonprofits to come there. So that was, that was absolutely wonderful. I also have Active Centralized Empowerment which is a pedagogy and a praxis and theory that I've developed over 15 years that is about, um, I do workshops, um, teaching labs. It is a way for each, each individual to actively centralize themselves on what's unique and special because I believe every individual was born with something beautiful to share with the world. And using that information that cross-cultural competency, your experiences, you use that information about who you are and where you've come from to actually empower you to move yourself from the margins. And this can be used with anyone. So from teachers who feel that technology has left them um, and their, their students are really young and, and they don't know, you know, there's a, even a difference in songs and music and, and that sort of thing. Active Centralized Empowerment says, but you are still of value. And I'm gonna show you how to use that in your classroom, how to use that at your organization, how to use it in your own individual growth for achieving your purpose and your mission. I actually have a book coming out called um, Teaching Without Borders um, with Active Centralized Empowerment. I've studied and researched and tested this for 15 years um, and it is a critical pedagogy that teaches inclusion with power. So it's not just about, you know, inclusion when it, you think black and white. It's about inclusion of everything, um, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're physically special, whether you come from another country, whether you're a person of color or a white American, anything along those lines, everyone is still special and is a way that you know, with just inclusion, that is tokenism. They include you at the table, but you have no real power. And so what I teach my students 
And what I encourage my students to do is to own who they are and let their voice be heard. That's a small way of saying to actively centralize yourself and empower yourself to let people know who you are and let people know what it is that you can add to the environment. And so it is, you know, diversity of opinions. We could use that right now in the White House. How do you get along when you have different opinions? Um, so I'm really excited about that. That comes out in January. This is for faculty um, and teachers all across the world. Um, teaching Without Borders with Active Centralized Empowerment. And um, it's going to be published in January. We're just um, finishing up a few things now. And uh, there's a lot more. I have a Aspire to Inspire. Um, it's one of my organizations where you aspire to be the best that you can be, which will inspire others uh, to do the same. And of course, I still have my podcast, Theoretical Tea and Company, uh, where you have wow. discussions over tea. Well, the type of decorum over tea. No one yells and screams where you have to be. So, but yeah, I could go on and on, but those are some of the things that I'm doing. And I also have an event coming up actually um, this Saturday, 6 p.m., my second event, 6 p.m. Um, Central on Zoom. So I can share that with you. Um, I'll send that information to you that you can share with your um, listeners uh, where it is a, an evening of literary um, healing, lyrical healing. So I'll have music and song and poetry and spoken word to heal um, the listeners out there uh, from their heart. Yeah, so much. Mm. Yeah. Again, listeners, we're here at, at Bayjack and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. We are very privileged privileged to be joined by the great Doctor Janice Collins, uh, and of course, the host with the most, Bob Bayjack. And Dr. Collins, um, I'm going to ask some questions for our listeners. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us just about how you developed that love for basketball and how it began for you? Oh, wow. Well, my love for basketball began in my family. Um, I, play, I played all sports. In our family, um, I'm a military brat. And in the military, um, you're expected and encouraged to be in physical shape, uh, to know a few languages and that sort of thing. Um, but between my Aunt Dolores um, uh, and my brother, my oldest brother, Clifton, um, I was the middle child and youngest girl. So my oldest brother, Clifton, um, and my sister, Sharon, they had to take me everywhere. <laughs> and so if my brother was going to play baseball, I was going with him and he was going to teach me how to play baseball. If my brother was going to play basketball, he would take me, he would have to take me and I would learn how to play basketball. Um, my father's a fabulous athlete. All of my siblings are great athletes. So that started the love and being in the country of the Eastern shore where we actually had a basket goal uh, made out of a real wooden basket on top of the barn. My aunt Dolores would show me how to do a hook shot. And so we all really, we were like the Kennedy family. We all played family sports. Um, it was expected. And then so... Um, the first 14 years of my life, I moved 14 times because my father, um, who's a math genius, he was promoted very quickly. And being promoted, just like in television, you have to move around a lot. And so every year we moved. And each year, living on a military base, one of the things we had to do, uh, my parents um, believed in extracurricular activities. 
and you had to join something. And my sister um, in Kentucky, at Fort Knox, Kentucky, she took the last cheerleading job. And so I ended up taking whatever was left, and I ended up being the first female to play Little League Baseball in the state of Kentucky. And did very well. So what that did was it opened up the the floodgates for every single sport. I I played every single sport and basketball just kind of stuck with me. And I was when I was in eighth grade at Beth um at um Jefferson Davis in Hampton, Virginia, Jefferson Davis Junior High, I received special permission to practice with the high school team at Bethel High School. And so by the time ninth grade, which was now high school, I had already been playing with these wonderful women uh, for a year. And I just kept playing <laughs> and playing. And it was great. It was fun. I love um, camaraderie. I love team sports. I love collective, um, collectivity with one another because we're only as strong as our strongest player and our weakest player. And so I'm, I was I, I was used to in my family and in basketball, I was already conditioned and trained to help one another to be the best that we can be. Um, when I was at Bethel High School, I set some records there. Um, I was voted um, Virginia Peninsula All-Star Athlete. And um, Maya Angelou, um, the late, great Dr. Maya Angelou, I met when I was 12. Yes. Um, she moved to North Carolina, and in North Carolina, um, my uncle, Dr. Herman Urey, was in biology. So he, was, he was a biology professor there, and he actually was the first African-American male to be granted tenure at Wake Forest University. My Angelo had moved to North Carolina, and I grew up with her. Um, she spoke at one of my grandmother's funerals, and it just so happened when it came time for college, she and my uncle <laughs> said, you must come to Wake Forest. I was being recruited. Um, I went to Wake Forest. Um, the coaches there invited me to come and audition. Um, my Angela said she I could stay in her home. Uh, that's not a problem. And it was either, it narrowed. I narrowed it down to two schools. Wake Forest University, because of my uncle and my aunt being there. And so it was great to be around family. And my Angela being there, who would also who would take care of me and watch over me when I was there is either Wake Forest or West Point. I was recruited by West Point um, and they both were calling at five o'clock. And I said, well, whoever calls first is where God wants me to go. And Wake Forest called right at five o'clock as I'm hanging up the phone, which a lot of people don't know about hanging up that phone. Um, <laughs> the phone rang and it was West Point. So I ended up going to. Uh, Wake Forest University, did very well there, and uh, loved loved playing basketball there. Loved going to school there um, because it gave me an opportunity to not, they really love the fact that you're a student athlete. It's not an oxymoron. They really believe that you do both and do them well. And that's exactly where I wanted to be. So after I graduated, I had an opportunity to go pro. And at that time, women had to go out of overseas. Of course, I lived in Germany twice and, and that sort of thing. And I really wanted to get into television. 
I had always, I was always a journalist in my heart. I was always a storyteller. I wanted to either be a lawyer or, or uh, an anchor uh, or a reporter. And so when it came time for an opportunity for me to decide whether to go pro or whether to start a career um, in media, I chose media. Um, and so that's how I just kind of kept going. And it's been really, really great. It's been wonderful. What was it like when you were playing basketball? Because at that time, there was less participation in women in sports, and you were like one of the pioneers. So uh, what was that experience like for you? Oh, it was really, really great. Um, what I liked most um, about playing basketball at Wake Forest, are you, are you talking about Wake Forest or are you talking about in general? Uh, in general, but Wake Forest okay. as well. Okay. Um, what I really loved about um, playing at Wake Forest is um, really being valued as a human being, as a student, um, as an athlete, but also as a Christian of tolerance. Um, my, um, my, 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 my belief and my connection and my relationship with God um, a loving God since I was five has been always important to me. And so I never had to separate myself as I, as I found out later in other colleges, um, whether you're teaching there or you're playing a sport, you know, um, that's not always paramount as far as, you know, talking about it out loud and praying together and that sort of thing. So that was really, really helpful for me and to me. And so even when it came time where the adjustment was a little different, because I actually was the third, the only the third African-American um, basketball, female basketball player in the history of Wake Forest. The other two were my friends one year older than myself, Kiva Jackson and Sonia Henderson. So I was really around his history that we were the first three and we had great coaches, Wanda Briley and Laura Bailey and Barbara Durham and Roxanne Moody. And we had great support with Dot Casey and athletic director and Cook Griffin. And I mean, everybody supported us to the point that we were doing so well that we actually, for the first time in the history, we had so many fans coming to our games that they actually moved us from the gym on campus to the arena, which was big. That women's basketball is now going to be played in the arena. That was huge. And they're still like that today. The fans are still so great today. And I would say what I love most about basketball in general that I also experienced at Wake Forest is I had an opportunity. What I love about sports, period, is that that is, if, you, if it's done right, it's one of the wonderful things that we have in America. Not saying we don't have it in other countries, but I'm going to speak as American, that we have an America where you can truly be judged by your skill. It doesn't matter whether you're white or black or brown. It doesn't matter where you come from. 
We're there to win together. We have a goal of being the best that we can be together, not by ourselves. And so when I was inducted into the ACC Hall of Fame, which was a wonderful surprise and delight, and they treated me so well when I was inducted, and they asked me, what do I remember most? I remember all of the different people, all of the diversity that we had in the stands, that we had on the court. And we still loved each other. We had differences, but we still learned to encourage and support one another. And to me, sports, basketball or sports, they teach you about inclusion. They teach you about being a leader. They teach you about being a role model. And that if you are a role model and you accept that responsibility, then you have to kind of dictate certain things that you want to be known for. It doesn't mean being perfect. It just means that you become comfortable in just trying to do your best. That's all that you can do. And I'll never forget one of the things that I loved most. And it used to, people used to always say, you could have gotten more points. You should have shot this. You should have shot that. You know, I, was, I held some records for a period of time, but the women there now are so wonderful, so talented that I doubt, I don't know if I still have any records there anywhere for assists or rebounds or anything, but, and I'm so proud of them. Um, what I really remember most is the, the look on my teammates' faces when I took one for the Kipper or I made that shot on the foul line to give us the win or I passed that assist to Lori Durham. I'll never forget that in one of our biggest games. She was closer to the basket and people wanted me to be continue to be the star. Why didn't you shoot the jump shot? Why? Because Lori was closer. And I'd rather give it to Lori because she's right there to make that shot. And so you learn to care for one another. And to me, because she made the winning shot and she used to roll, every time she made a layup, she would roll out of bounds. She was just, she had that much energy and momentum. She would roll out of bounds and she was the shero of that day. She was our star for that game. And the reason why that means so much to me is because, unfortunately, years later, um, she passed away in a car accident. And I feel good in my heart that, you know, when you're the star player, you know, a lot of times people get left out. But if it wasn't for my teammates who practice with me, the ones who may not have been able to play every game or as many minutes as I did, I owe all of the things. Get winning best defensive, most outstanding female athlete. I owe it to 
my coaches, Coach Sanchez and, and Turner, Kathy Turner, I owe it to them. I owe it to my teammates that actually made me the athlete that I am. And not only that, study hall, we helped each other study. So they helped me become that star. So if I could do anything to show other people that there are many stars on this team, oh, that gave me great joy, great joy um, to be able to do that then and to be able to do it now. Uh, just like Bob is a former student of mine. And to know that he is doing this with you, Theo, and I've listened to you all shows. I was listening to like, I've listened to like seven today. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, <laughs> but it gives me nothing but joy and pride to hear and see Bob, one of my former students, doing great things. And not only that, I tell my students, not only do I want you to do great things, and that's great if you see me as a role model, but I want you to do better than me. I want you to do more than me, however that looks and whatever makes you happy. So um, so I'm so proud to be on this show with you guys because um, to be interviewed by one of my former students along with you, Theo, is, I mean, that's a dream come true for a teacher. And that so definitely, definitely is a privilege, privilege, privilege Dr. Collins. Dr. Collins. Uh, we are, we are going to take a sponsor, sponsor break, break. So we'll so come we'll right, right back after the short sponsor, sponsor by Anchor.fm. Uh, this uh, is to Brown. Brown. Up down, up down podcast. Episode number 24. By Beja. The great Collins. Collins, We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back, folks, to the second segment of episode number 24 here at Bajak and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. We are joined and privileged by our special guests uh, all the way from Virginia, uh, Dr. Janice Collins, who will be joining us momentarily. Uh, we appreciate that wonderful first segment and just many wonderful insights about her uh, journey uh, growing up in Virginia uh, in a, in a military family and also a little bit into the insight of uh, just being more of a leader and more of a selfless, you know, selfless leadership uh, through her childhood and teenage years and also at the University of Wake Forest. But Bob, I'll, I'll send a segue back over to you for uh, Dr. Collins. But I did want to introduce our, if I could, our past question, Bob, that we had about Kevin Garnett. I was going to let I would love you. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, Dr. Collins, we we, uh, we did have a, uh, as Bob had mentioned previously, usually on social media or Facebook, we have a listener question of the week. And one mm -hmm. of our more popular questions was uh, during NBA Finals when we asked our viewers and listeners who they thought was a better player in their prime or who they would prefer to have on a team between uh, the Hall of Famer uh, Kevin Garnett and the, the aforementioned uh, Anthony Davis at Los Angeles Lakers. What would your mm -hmm. thoughts and opinions on Dr. Collins? 
<laughs> well, that is a very, very, very interesting um, question. I try to, I don't compare too many times, but um, I will say this. I have thought about it. And I will say that when I look at KG and AD, um, I don't believe that AD has, has hit his, has hit his prime, his prime right now. I, I don't think that that's happened yet. Um, so given that, I don't believe that we'll have the answer. I want, I'm not able to answer that question until his career has come to an end. We can look back on it and say, this is what he did great. This is what he did differently than KG, better than KG, anything along those lines, um, where we can kind of compare the career. Absolutely. Dr. Collins, are you there? Dr. Collins? I am. I am. Oh, yes. sorry. Can you hear me? Uh, Bob, we, we did have oh, two we, two more listener questions. I was just going to be very brief, Bob. Uh, Dr. Collins, sure. they, they asked Ms. Uh, Dr. Collins mm -hmm. back when she, I know she is not into comparing, but who were more <laughs> of your, um, more of your like uh, top competition or who, who did you think that was maybe their best talent you played against in ACC? Oh, gosh. Wow, a feel. Um, um, oh wow. Okay, so some that I can remember their names. Um, first of all, I'm just really proud of all the girls and uh, that are women, young women of the ACC, because we really started putting ACC on the map. But um, Peggy Capel out of uh, Clemson was awesome. Um, oh God, now that I mentioned her name, I'm going to have to remember everybody else's name, but I don't think I can remember um, everybody else's name. I will tell you this. I, let me say it this way. First of all, I think every, every school had their star player and it was just a joy um, and also um, intense. I love intense competition as long as it's fair. That was wonderful. And we had some of the best coaches. Um, I will tell you one of my um, most awesome times. Um, we were able to play. Our team actually played um, um, Cheryl Miller, Cheryl Miller's team. Ooh. Um, the back legend. In the day. Yeah, and um, to see her in action, um, to see how she she played. Not only was she a great player, but I saw how she played mind games. Like she would, she would get these refs like under her thumb, and if they met a ba made a bad call, oh, she would talk to them the entire time, up the floor, down the floor, up the court. I mean, constantly, <laughs> and that was really something interesting to see because. Um, that that side of competition, and just to see her in person um, was just, it was just it was just awesome. So I feel very very fortunate to have seen her um, up close and personal, and I think they they won uh, by like two points. So I was really proud of that too. <laughs> Doctor Collins, for our listeners, would you? I know like our modern day, we kind of have Candace Parker or kind of more like mm -hmm. a Maya Moore, Brianna Stewart. Do any of the young ladies today, I don't know how much you get a chance to kind of 
watch the WNBA college now, but do any of the other young ladies compare to Cheryl Miller or was she kind of in a league of her own? Ah, that's a good question. I will tell you that that I have seen many Cheryl Millers. Now, that being said, everyone's unique. And so just like, you know, our conversation with KG and AD, once history has been written, story, we're waiting on AD to kind of come through. Um, I think it's the same thing with Peggy Capel or um, Cheryl Miller or Peggy Leakes or, uh, you know, even Lisa Stockton, who's a coach. A lot of these great players are coaches. Amy Privet, Perko, was an awesome player. Um, I would say that, um, and, and being around even some of the players now, um, there are a lot more women um, who play basketball now who on the average are taller. That's one thing. So for instance, I'm 5'9". Okay. So it's hard to compare because like I'm 5'9", but I played all five positions because I had a vertical and a hang time. Oh, I also love playing with Michael Jordan. He was gorgeous then. He's gorgeous now. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> he was awesome. Um, I think that, you know, they're, they're just built differently, right? Um, and we had Coach Tuza, who was a great athletic um, strength coach. So I think that has upped their game. Um, they have better equipment up their game, but we have really awesome people and awesome equipment for our time. Um, I do have some of my favorites. Um, back in the more back about five years ago compared to now, because I'm still kind of scoping out the teams sure. um, and the players. So I would say that, um, like the point guards now, they're like six two. Our point guard. You know, you could your point guard back in the day. We could be like five two, five five, five six. You know, mm. um, now you know they would be a number two, maybe a shooting guard or something like that. But they wouldn't be point guard, um, possibly. Um, but again, I went to school with um, Muxy Bogues, and so he. Yes, he yes. <laughs> so I'm going to say great things come in shorter packages um, that are just absolutely enormous. Praise God. Um, so I'm I'm not going to say any names for now, but I do have some favorites. But it's more like um, I'm still into college ball as well. I love Wake Forest, love Connecticut, um, and because I've played with a lot of these coaches who were assistant coaches at the time when I was playing, and now they're doing their own thing. And um, and 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 the coaches are really important to us in our lives. But I wouldn't compare. Um, I think Cheryl Miller, she can stand on her own and hold her own still to this day um a lot of us we get um challenged um on the court because i'll find out who we are and even guys guys will in college they say dr collins i saw you played this let's play a game of pickup 21 they'll still do that today and uh and sometimes i win and so that's really enjoyable um, but, but um, the the women now are just really, really, um, just extraordinarily talented, and their and their bitch is deep. I mean, I mean, <laughs> they 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 really are awesome. It's really wonderful to see a WNBA. I I would like the WNBA to get uh, more respect back in the Virginia area, back in North Carolina. 
Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> but Bob, and wait, Bob, can, can you get Dr. Collins to elaborate on the Michael Jordan playing against Michael Jordan? <laughs> well, I, you know, I was wondering that, Dr. C, I mean, just uh, that, that just blew my mind. So can you tell us oh, a little bit just, about that for our awesome. listeners? Even um, was it Lynn Bias? Um, that uh, that used to play for Maryland. Yes. So around that time, yes. we had Delaney. We had yes. so many great Chi. We had so many great players back the time when I played. Um, but Michael Jordan was always so nice. He was always so kind. And just like with um, the women would go in and practice first, and then the guys would practice, or the guys would practice first, and we would practice. So anytime we were playing Tar Heels, um, I would walk in, and Michael Jordan would say, you have the prettiest eyes. And I was so nervous. And I, I, I mean, I, he wasn't like Michael Jordan, but he, I could still, he had a presence about him. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, being in the, in the military, I was kind of sheltered. And so this gorgeous guy was like, you had a great game the other day. And I was like, thank you. And he was a star. But, you know, he was like Michael Jordan, but I was like, thank you. And every single time I would see him, he, and be, before he went pro, he would just make it make a point to just be very kind to me. And uh, I never forget that. And uh, I haven't seen him since then, um, but I think I will one day um, in the future. And uh, I'll have to tell him about that um, back in the day, how he, he made me feel so good. <laughs> That is that's awesome. And folks, remember you're here listening to a Bayjack and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast live on Anchor.fm. Again, we are privileged, privileged. I can't even speak privileged to be joined by the great Dr. Janice Collins. And I'm sorry, but I'll segue over back to you, Bob. You know, I'm I need to call Roland Lesenby. He wrote Michael Jordan the Life. They said that's the definitive biography, but we need to get that anecdote in there. That's just wonderful. I don't think they would want that in there, but wouldn't that be great? Good stories, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. You know, we've just had a very uh -huh. interesting year, Dr. Collins. You know, we've kind of seen the intersection of race and sports with a lot of unfortunate incidents happening and uh, just the empowerment of the Black Lives Matter movement and the strike that happened with mm -hmm. the WNBA and NBA mm -hmm. uh, for racial justice. Uh, what, what do you think about um, just the movement, like how the NBA and WNBA were spurring that and some of those, um, the messages that they were um, that, providing the public? Um, I think it's important. You know, we had to change with the times. Um, I think and I believe and what I've seen, these athletes can and are very effective opinion leaders. Every society, every culture has one, or quite a few, actually. Opinion leaders are just a part of society. And if you have, um, you know, you know, oh, uh, let me, okay, I'm going to go just a little deep on this. Okay, just a little bit, um, because I do study, you know, inclusion with power and in, in, in race and diversity. There was a time where you would have, let's say, African-American um, 
individuals play sports, okay? Whether that was in the living room of a plantation or whether that was in the rain, uh, boxing, or whether that was on the floor bouncing a basketball, whatever the case may be. There was a time that you were not paid for that. You were just there to entertain. Whether that means putting two mandingos together from Africa and wrestling until one is no more or until one cannot move. You would not get paid for that but you are entertaining a group of people. Now, we have progressed. We have advanced. And so what that means in today's time where we need voices of um, goodness, of inclusion, of acceptance, when that's what we need for our society to continue to grow and advance, then if you are playing basketball and you have a voice, there's just like there's more to an athlete than just being an athlete. If you're a student athlete, that means you can be smart and a great student and an athlete. If you're a pro athlete, you can be a professional athlete, but still have an opinion and still do great things in your community that have nothing to do with your sport. And that's what we pride ourselves on in America. It's no different than DiMaggio. It's no different than any other sport. Uh, Joe Lewis, anybody, when they could speak out and say, hey, this is wrong, they did it. Sometimes they had to be careful about how they did it, but they did it. This is no different. Where I think that in this day and time, they have to be known. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to speak out, okay? But I believe everybody has the right to um, have certain rights that every American has um, to a certain degree. Now you're working for a business, you're working for a company. So I think they have to work that out. You know, like what you can say, what you can't say, what you can wear, what you can't wear. But I applaud these athletes that are heroes and sheroes to young children who want to emulate them. And why not emulate someone who scores 52 points in a game, but also is a good human being, who's also a good American, who's also a good woman, a good man, a good, um, uh, you know, non-cisgender. You know, we, we have to include all of that, right? Just yourself. It doesn't matter. Because you are a human being first. And we cannot risk not allowing these people to say anything. Um, so I think that it is their responsibility to speak out, just as it's the responsibility for people to speak out and say women athletes should be paid more. I'm expecting male athletes to speak to that. Because again, in a society we can only be defined by the one who's the most underpaid, underprivileged. That's how we define our country, how we take care of them without hurting ourselves. So I applaud them. I think that some, however, 
and <laughs> I don't know how people are going to take this. I think that some some people, people, period. Okay, we're talking about athletes. Let's say everyone doesn't have to speak and everyone shouldn't shouldn't speak. If that's not your thing and if you're not good at it, um, then maybe you don't do that. Maybe you just wear a T-shirt that speaks volumes. Maybe you don't say anything. You're silent and protest that speaks volumes. And I think it's wrong for anyone in the stands to treat any athlete as if they are there to just entertain in this day and time, in this day and time, because all Americans should come together with that. At the same time, I'll, I'll finish it with this. At the same time, some people, I will tell you, you can go to any restaurant, any bar, people who are watching sports just want to have a good time. They're not talking about politics. They're not talking about religion. They're not, they just want to watch sports. But those sports fans, you know, they don't want to see all of this. They don't want to hear anything. And can I, I can respect that. However, I think it is wrong to punish someone who may have a higher calling, who may have experience of something happening in their community that they can actually help and speak out on. I love the way these players have used their money to build up communities. And I'm telling you, with my nonprofits, building up communities save lives. They actually, that deed can save a life. So I think that it's time for the professional industry um, to get together and design an operational system that allows American athletes, professional athletes, to not only do their jobs well on the court, but gives them the opportunity and the support to go back into the communities and do great things there without penalty. I think it's so, so important. I'm very proud of them. Very proud of them. I love how you tied that in. That was a great, uh, how you tied the whole story in the guy. I love that, Dr. Collins. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. I'm a broadcast journalist, so sometimes I get a little talky, but I'm good. Oh, that oh, is good. good. That is good. <laughs> I would love to add to what Dr. Collins was saying, that the NBA has done um, positive steps where teams are giving – 300 million in the next 10 years to help with um, urban development. And they opened um, some arenas for uh, voting access during this yeah. uh, pandemic. So I do think um, the NBA is trending in the right direction and hopefully being leaders to other sport leagues or um, organizations to try to yes, make absolutely. us and a better society. Say, and I'm by belief, too much has been given, right? You have to do your part and give back. Much, much will be asked of you because you've been so blessed in so many other ways. So I think it's, you're exactly right, Bob. I think that um, we look to them as heroes, man. And um, they've done, and, and that's been, like I said, that's been going on. Um, 
there are athletes, you know, where what, right? You get the first black baseball player. Come on, come on to the field. It took the white baseball players to have Jackie come in, right? And say, hey, you're on our team. We welcome you. That was a social, social statement. So it's no different. <laughs> it's no different. Um, where, and he wasn't the first one, but the first well-known as far as uh, the diverse crowd. There were, um, there were others, um, a few others before, but he was really like the celebrity, right? Jackie Robinson. And it took these, it took white managers. Absolutely. It took white players to say, we're going to make a social statement. It took black players who were not afforded the opportunity that he was given to support him and say, we're going to support. That's a, that's a political social statement. And I believe as an athlete, a professional athlete, if you are not hurting anyone and it is within your right as an American to protest peacefully. I do not think that right should be taken from you. But again, when I played for Wake Forest, we had a dress code. We had to dress a certain way when we were out on the road, period, for every game. It was expected. It just so happens the dress code that we had was the same dress code that my parents had for me. So if you go, you're doing something, you know, they expected my parents dressed us a certain way, expected us to dress a certain way um, because we were representing our family and we were representing the best of ourselves. So while I don't think that you should be able to tell a grown man or woman what to wear in the professional arena, um, I think just like, you know, where they have certain stipulations, um, when you work for a company, um, there are certain rules that you will have to abide by until those change. So when it comes to political and social statements, absolutely, absolutely. There's a time and a place for everything. And the time is now. The place may not be here or there, but I think there's enough space that, that they can um, lift up a community, right? I mean... A lot of our social problems, they stem from people who just haven't been given a break. It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they're not as intelligent or they don't have the desire to be successful. No, they were not given the opportunity. And not only that, their parents weren't given the opportunity. And not only that, their parents were not given the opportunity. So there are generational gaps that these players are filling in. And if you can build up an after-school program, if you can build up a movie theater where people can go and have fun, if you can give, put shoes on the feet of these children, if you can build a school and open a school and support a school, because we're big on education in this country, that every child, every child in this country, if they can be helped 
by the millions of dollars and that the pros make and they want to share their wealth, I think it's absolutely wonderful. And I hope we see more of it. Dr. Collins, can you tell us a little bit about your journalism career? I know before you were a teacher, you just traveled a lot. You covered many things. I know you covered some sports. So please share with yeah, the okay. listeners short, just your varied um, experience. Thank you for that. Um, so right after college, um, when I graduated, so I graduated in speech, speech communications and theater arts with a concentration in communication rhetoric. However, um, my mother, who was a fabulous teacher, my father still teaches college math. My, he just celebrated his 81st birthday. And he's a mathematician. He went to school, college, actually, when he was 15. He skipped a few grades um, for it because he was, he was so great. Um, but my, my mother wow. would have us read the newspaper every day. And then when she came home, um, when she was working, sometimes, she, you know, we had six children. She was raising my father's a retired lieutenant colonel from the Army. And um, she would quiz us on the current events. And I grew up with Barbara Walters and I grew up with um, really awesome um, anchors to watch. And I thought, wow, they really are truth speakers and they're helping society. And I knew I wanted to be a journalist. And so I would practice reading the newspaper or the magazine. And then right after college, I had five jobs as most students have to do at times. I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go next. So I was a, an assistant basketball coach. I was a substitute teacher. I was a radio disc jockey um, and producer for a jazz and gospel station. I was a producer and anchor for a PBS station. And I was also a copy editor for an advertising agency and magazine. And so I worked from like five in the morning until one in the morning. I did that for a year and I finally figured out that I was just going to go for television. Um, I was, I didn't like being an anchor so much. I don't like a lot of attention, um, but I was young, you know, I was young. I didn't know, you know, at 22, what that meant to be an anchor. And, um, and I was more of a creative artist, but anyways, I ended up moving to North Carolina um, a year later. And as Fate would have it. Sports taught me to work hard, put your best foot forward every single time. And I can learn anything I put my mind to. My parents taught me that. My family, my sisters and brothers, my coaches um, taught me that. Um, and that helped me with television because I learned everything. I have worked in every position, almost every position there is in broadcast journalism. And I've loved them all. And I started off in, um, I think it was WGHP, Piedmont. I started off like in the 35th market. And then from there, I was able to work for um, um, ESPN, um, starting a show, Black College Sports Today. Um, and then um, I also, do you? I remember that show, Dr. Collins. I used to watch no, that show. Awesome. I'm sorry, bro. Come on, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we covered all four divisions. Yeah. So that did very well. Yeah. The swag. Exactly. The swag. So I was one of the pioneers for that. 
And we did a lot of, uh, you know, freelance. So I had a big, you know, I mean, we had freelancers, over 200 freelancers and all over to cover all the MIAC and all that, like you said. And then I also worked for NBC. I worked for NBC News Channel. Um, and I worked with Steve Kappas, who was um, the former um, um, head of NBC News. I was able to learn from some of the very best. Um, I worked, um, so, and then I ended up in Atlanta, Georgia, um, the eighth market. Um, I went to Atlanta after that. So I've been able to work from the number one market down to the 35th and in between. And that means I've been around some of the best journalists um, in the industry today. Uh, my forte is producing. Why? Because producing, even though I'm contemplating some anchoring positions now, but um, producing allowed, allows me to bring a team together just like sports. And I know how to pick some of the best team members. I could pick the best videographer. I could pick the best editor. And, um, and together we can make magic. Um, and so I was able to do that. Um, and um, I was able to cover, oh my gosh, the Olympics. So I was there covering the Olympics in Atlanta. I, I remember one of your shows, um, um, I think somebody brought up, um, I think it was Miles, Kyles, um, who brought up about when they come in with the Olympics in Brazil. Okay. And yes. so um, they did the same thing in Atlanta. They moved Techwood Homes out and they built up the Olympic Village. And um, so it's bittersweet. Um, but I was able to go to the Olympics. I was able to see uh, the Olympics with my mother and father. I was able to cover the Olympics. I was there on duty um, when the Olympic bomb went off. Um, Susan Smith, um, the federal building, the explosion is a federal building. Um, there's a lot of hard hitting. Mm. Oh, and with the Olympic bombing, Richard Joel, and I teach my students, you know, don't be first, be right. And I remember I was doing either, I think the five, the five thirty, or the noon show. I don't remember, but we were t discussing whether or not to. You know, he started off as a hero, and then things started to change. And I'm so glad I've worked for a company um, where we needed to get the evidence first. I didn't feel comfortable. They'd say, how in the world can this guy now be the pope, the perpetrator? How, how are we, you know, and so we needed more evidence. And I'm so happy um, that I, as a producer, I held off of certain information, I needed to know more. And I think we need more of that in journalism today. I think right now we have a lot of media storytellers. It, it is totally different to be a journalist. It is totally different to be a sports journalist or a news journalist. It's totally different because you have to abide by the code of ethics. You have to seek the truth and report it, nothing else. You have to find balance, which means you need to really find both sides of the story in some capacity. It's hard to be independent now because of the oligopolies and, and the monopolies and the, um, the conglomerates that there could be one company, right? There are six companies that run media in the world. And so it's very difficult to be independent where the soda you're buying or talking about, actually your company owns that as well as the film that's being made down the street. Um, but I think that journalism and journalists have to continue to be protected by law because that's the only way citizens are going to get real information, truthful information. 
and to make better decisions for themselves. And I learned that. Um, so I started in journalism in 1986. I went to school to get my master's and PhD. And while I was there, I was teaching journalism and media mass communications as well. But one of the most important code of ethics that I don't see being practiced here, technology, technological determinism, diffusion of innovation, technology should never dictate your stories. Technology is just the conduit mm. for stories to be delivered. That's it. So when I started to see how social media was starting to play a role and how digital publication is still playing a role, and actually I've been in digital, God, television's worked online and digital forever. I mean, I've been using online and digital since 1986, basically. Uh, we just didn't have the audience for it. But so what we're finding is people can't tell the difference. We're not media literate anymore in the community. They cannot tell the difference between who's telling the truth and who's not. And we, instead of, it's not a cultural unifier anymore because, Theo, you, you can look at, um, and I love your name, Theo, from the Huxtables. Um, you can watch something on television or the internet, <laughs> 10 different shows, and I can, on, on one subject, and I can look at 10 different shows that have nothing to do with yours on the same exact subject. So there's never a point of agreement, right? There's never a way we can unite and say, well, what do, where do we stand on this? Or, or, so we're more fragmented than ever. And- Well, like you said, Ms. Dr. Collins, that's kind of what they want, or they want to, even with the sports theme, right? Everything mm -hmm. is a debate. A lot of times myself and Bob or other people will talk, you know, when you watch a sports show, mm -hmm. it's not really about sports. They want to divide and debate everything. Or like you said, we shouldn't compare, but that's all these well, shows I think are. That's a great point. I think what they should have done, they missed an opportunity. See, in, in broadcast and in sports, I love ESP. I love all the sports shows. Okay. But what they should do is divide it. So like in television, we had, um, I think, crosstalk or something like that. We didn't editorialize during the news. What we did was there was another show called Crosstalk or something like that on CNN. Where that's what they were there for. They were there to debate. They were there to talk about that. And in sports and ESPN, and, and, and what are, I think there should be a separate show, but all the yelling and the fussing and just like, we don't need to normalize not getting along. We don't need to normalize being offensive. And so even as a journalist, right, you have programs, whether it's sports or news, you have programs that... Uh, portray the image of journalism, but they have no background in journalism. They're pundits of some kind. They're opinion makers. They're shock jocks. They're whatever. And so what happens, the one code of ethics, one code of ethics that we should adhere to as journalists is minimize harm. Minimize harm. And that means, do we really need to know Oh, do we really need to see this for part of the story? Do we really need to see that? If not, keep it out. Because we have made it okay in all forms of media to be entertained by the injustices 
and also the, dis the dysfunctions of people. We have shows, we, you know, reality shows, whether it's on sports or news, you know, all of a sudden, right, we have been conditioned to see blood and the people, hearts, hearts broken. Mm. We, we want to know, we're not thinking about Colin Kaepernick and the fact that because he knelt down, that he may not be able to feed his family or himself, or we have to look at that. And that, and really, is that who we are as America? And I will tell you, my background as an African-American, a Black American, my background as part Irish and English and Scottish, I will tell you that the people in my family have fought in every war of this country. And I will tell you that we fought so people can be free. We fought and some have died. My Uncle Bobby died. you know, And we have given our lives for people to be free. So I don't care who it is. If you, mm. by, by the Constitution, by our Bill of Rights, all of that, if you protest peacefully, right, you should not have to lose everything. We shouldn't feel good about that. I don't care who it is. Um, I think we, we, I know we could do better. We have done better. But again, we living in this culture that is volatile. And I think that um, if the athletes are going to do it, if they're going to say, we're going to bring back how wonderful it is to be able to go to a basketball game and just enjoy yourself. All that other stuff that the audience members, they feel that because they paid a ticket, that you can talk and ridicule and say offensive things to grown individuals or anybody I think is wrong I think the decorum is wrong there's only so much a human being can take right and I remember the guys right used to run up in the stands and go after people absolutely and things like that you know um so those are the stories that I'm proud of that sports journalists are doing being fair and coming out with the story. Yeah, I'll stop. Yeah. Absolutely. And Dr. Kranz, I, I appreciate, no, I was going to say, I appreciate the compliment on my name. My, okay. my full name is Theus. So I just okay. go by Theo on the show. Theus, Theus nice. is my full name. It's not as good as Bob, though. I like Bob's name as There's well. It's a Bob. We love Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you kindly. <laughs> Um, Dr. Counts, can you tell us the name of your podcast again so our listeners could check right. it out and maybe um, where to find so you on social media or any talks um, that you're doing? Instagram at Dr. JC. Um, and that's J A I N C, capital C, Dr. JC. That's on Instagram. Um, and they can also um, find me on Facebook, Dr. Janice Collins. Um, the podcast is Theoretical Tea and Company. Um, which I have some in the bucket. I'll be launching. I'm like pretty soon. Um, and um, I'll send you um, Bob's that maybe we could put on Facebook or they can find it on my Facebook. I have a Zoom session. Um, a podcast is coming up. A live podcast is coming up called an evening sure. of lyrical healing, where I have some of my former students, Liz Jazzin, um, who's a phenomenal singer. Beautiful. She her her acapella group was national. 
She'll be there on the show. She'll sing some songs for us. And I have Jade Hilton as a former student who is a, an entertainer performer that is absolutely talented. I have um, Herbert Bangora that goes by Be Cool Music out of Sierra Leone, uh, West Africa. He's singing. Um, I have J1, who's a uh, hip hop rapper uh, that is phenomenal. He'll be accompanying me on the piano. And I have Myra Smith out of Hampton Roads that's going to be on the show. So it's really about stories and song. If people just want to come in and grab some tea and just kind of relax and listen and, uh, and, and hopefully just be comforted in your heart because we're all going through a hard time right now. And, uh, but I want to let people know uh, that I don't want them to give up hope. Um, hope is, is having optimistic prayers evolve because we're, when we need it most, we start having hope and we start praying and we want those things to evolve. And um, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I really appreciate you guys allowing me to, to come on the show and uh, your show is awesome. I love the guests that you get and uh, listening to them. It's very diverse. I uh, love that. And uh, so thank you so much uh, for having me um, on your show tonight. Dr. Collins, if I may ask, I know we're getting close to end here, but just in case we had listeners coming on the end, can you tell them again, well, just briefly where, um, just about some of your other uh, business that you had in the beginning, okay. like the World Changers and uh, AJ right. yeah. Changers? So, um, so one of the biggest ones that are coming out is Teaching Without Borders is teaching-without-borders.org. Um, that is an occlusionary uh, website um, that is partnered with my book. Uh, World Changers Media International Foundation.org. African International Documentary Festival Foundation.org. Um, I'm a media counselor with um, a media consultant. I was president and co-founder um, because World Changers, that is world worldwide, that's taken a lot of my time. Um, so, um, but that's AFIDFF.org. That's, that's um, up there as well. And also on the World Changers and also, oh, Janice M. Collins, PhD.com. That's my personal website where I have a lot of this stuff there. Um, where you'll find Aspire to Inspire. Um, and when I'll be in a town near you after this pandemic lifts, I'll be in a town near the next listener about how they can aspire uh, to inspire others. Um, I'm really uh, thrilled about that. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be an awesome time for this country and the world to come together on one accord of harmony. So thank you. Dr. Collins, thank you so much uh, for talking to BNB Nation. We we love having you on and dropping well, some great so knowledge. Much, guys. And, you and take we great look forward to hearing from you, you soon. Thank, thank you, you Dr. so much, Collins. Thank you, Bob. So thank God, you. God bless Dr. Collins. On that. My pleasure. Thanks for joining. My pleasure. Thank you. And Bob, thank you as well for uh, you know definitely being gracious enough to ask Dr. Collins to come on and definitely letting our listeners get the great insight and wonderful stories from Dr. Collins this evening. And again, we want to thank you for joining us on our 24th episode of Basic and Brown's Hoops Up and Down podcast here on anchor.fm. Definitely, folks, look for us on Spotify, 
uh, use about an hour after we upload it. You can go to Spotify. Also, the outlets are um, uh, Listen Notes, I apologize, and Altel.com as well. And so definitely look for the episodes on there as well. We appreciate you can join us this evening. Everybody, God bless. Be safe and have a wonderful day.